Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We are your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Happy holidays, weirdos. Happy holidays, and welcome back to History for Weirdos. Episode number 70. Woohoo, we're we're so <laughs> glad to have you back. Always glad Sorry. to have you. I got like something stuck in my throat, and like my woohoo <laughs> got cut short. It was the saddest woohoo. I know. <laughs> Maybe because Christmas is now finally over, and so I'm yes. just like, oh, you know, the little holiday rush. <laughs> the who is Yeah, tough. it's a, Mondays are, this Monday is actually really weird because... Mm. It's Christmas Day observed, so we have it off here in the U.S., but it's Christmas is done. So it's kind of like a double whammy, I guess, in a way. Yeah, and to uh, acknowledge and celebrate the holiday season, don't you have a special Christmas-themed episode? Wow, look at that. In fact, Stephanie, I really do. Tell me, what is your episode about for today? Well, it's interesting. So I wanted to spread some holiday cheer you know, especially given that today's Christmas Day observed in the United States. And um, and I know that you weirdos are probably still in a festive mood, right? And I wanted to keep you all uplifted with a nice, you know, kooky holiday story. Great. Psych! Of course not. This is history for weirdos. What do you think this was, a children's bedtime story? Oh, yeah, I'm definitely going full weirdo today. Definitely. Yeah. So, no. History for weirdos. This is a like today's episode is about death, mayhem, irresponsibility, just set during the holiday season. That's always fun. It's fun and uplifting. I even put it in my notes here, like, oh, it's that kind of fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like evil guy laugh. I love it. So for today's episode, we're actually going to go back to December of 1919. And this is right before the onset of prohibition here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for you folks who don't know, uh, the United States essentially went from selling alcohol to becoming a quote-unquote dry country virtually overnight. Yeah. Starting on January 17th, 1920. And so this would create the unintended consequences of an incredibly lucrative black market for booze throughout the the 20s and then the early 30s, as well as raising the prominence of the mafia. So kind of didn't work out for the government and what they were going for. Right. It literally (laughs) backfired and made things even worse. Yep. You know. Who could have seen that coming? I know, right? Wow. (laughs) So, you know, and fun fact here, actually, I want to tell them the story like a few years ago when I was on a work trip and you visited me up Mm -hmm. in Fresno, California. Yes. Remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember we went to that one speakeasy that was themed like a 1920s, early 30s um, speakeasy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I guess that's where speakeasies were, so it's kind of repetitive for me to say that. But regardless, 
there was this one guy who was like a historian, kind of history buff who worked there. Do you remember that guy? Yeah, of course. And I'll never forget this, but he called Prohibition like the darkest stain in American history. And I just remember, like, we just looked at each other like, no, no, like, I mean, granted, Prohibition was bad and there was some bad things that happened, but darkest stain, like, okay, first of all, three things come to mind just immediately. It was like slavery, the Civil War, which was fought over states' rights to have slavery, and then also the American, in, like, Native American, like, population decline. Yes. Which is a very nice way of saying that, like, the United States government, like, massacred Native Americans. Yeah, but this guy, I couldn't <laughs> tell if it was a joke or not when I he said it. I don't think it was a joke because, in, like, we kind of gave each other this look and he, it was just dead, like, deadpan. So, that's some, a form of humor, though. Maybe I mean, it was. I'm going to give true. him the benefit of the doubt that it was a okay. really dark, deadpan joke. You're much more, for, like, forgiving, I think, than I am. <laughs> So yeah, let's go with it. It was a really just poor taste joke. Yes. <laughs> but anyways, I just thought that was funny. Um, now, we're going to start our story with a bobster, actually, by the name of John Romanelli. Okay. And he surprisingly kept a pretty low profile like early on in his career, mm-hmm. you know, especially given his profession as a mobster. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, his, like, normal, like, quote-unquote day job, yeah. if, you know, being a mobster was, like, his side hustle, yeah, was actually that of an undertaker. Oh. Yeah, which is, if you don't know, is someone who prepares dead bodies for funerals. That's a pretty appropriate uh, day job. <laughs> exactly. It kind of goes hand-in-hand, hand, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, police had always suspected that he was kind of the go-to man for other mobsters who wanted to get rid of a body, like, discreetly. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess it's also a very strategic day job to have. Yeah, it really does. It really does go hand in hand. So he was a big deal, you know, for his time, for his community. Um, And he was actually known as like the mayor of Little Italy in Brooklyn. Oh, really? Yeah. He was known as the mayor, but he was not the mayor. No, he was not actually the mayor. No, and plus he was like, it was the quote unquote mayor of Little Italy within Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but still like a pretty big like pillar in his community. And so Romanelli, he breaks onto the scene in 1915 when he and his crew attacked a rival undertaker. I'm of not, course. I'm not joking. Those like rivalries. Is, to I the know, death. right? Like this is like case in point of reality is stranger than fiction. Mm-hmm. And so, and this was fought over the rights of who would get to bury the body of an eight-year-old child who had drowned. What? So just like Everything about this last sentence just honestly is awful. But why were they fighting over who got to bury it? I don't know. I think it's one of those things that's just lost in translation. Okay. Like, I don't understand that at all. Maybe there's more to it that we just don't know about. Yeah. But that was the official reason. Um, And anyways, Romanelli, he would actually get shot and suffer a bullet wound. During this altercation? Exactly. Mm. But his rival would end up six feet under. Oh, okay. So he kind of came out on top. And he only, like, for this, like... And police broke this up. So it's like they were well aware this would happen. Mm -hmm. And for his role of, like, literally, like, killing someone, he gets a fine. Ooh, a fine? A fine, I know. Wow. That's nuts that he got away with that. He basically, yeah. That's a theme. Let's just say that's a theme. Okay. Just re- so remember that, listeners. Remember that. Um, this guy is is a piece of work. Let's just say that. He is a piece of work. And so, you know, this is, of course, the first time we hear about this. And I think it just gives a view, like a good view into his character and his responsibility into the events 
which would unfold. So we're going to fast forward to 1919. Mm-hmm. And Romanelli wanted a piece of the bootleg liquor business, which was just about to explode thanks to the looming threat of prohibition. Yes. We know that like it would literally happen the next month. This is December of 1919, by the way. I should also mention that during World War One, which had just ended relatively recently at this point, um, that booze that was being sold here in the U.S. was really weak, I guess. It was like diluted. So the alcohol content was really low. Okay. I, I don't know why. I was like, you know, I, I kind of joked. I was like, maybe it's to save alcohol for the troops overseas. I, maybe. I mean, that's a, or that'd alcohol, be a terrible reason. Maybe alcohol for cleaning wounds or alcohol for other purposes. Right. Because I know resources tend to be low when you're in active war, but... That's weird. I didn't know that. I've never heard that before. I know, because I know, like, in World War II, there was, like, sugar rations, and my grandmother, like, has told me that she, like, remembers those and everything. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I didn't know there was anything about booze. But apparently, you know, there were booze was available, but it was really watered down. Okay. So, anyway, this this is just, like, I'm just, like, mentioning all of this to kind of set the stage that the, the market is really ripe for, like, an illegal booze industry, essentially. Now... As part of the embalming process, you know, back to Romanelli's, uh, his day job, Mm -hmm. he had access to what was called wood alcohol, which is a key part of the embalming process. Today, we call it methanol. Okay. And here's the thing. Methanol is incredibly toxic, although it is very similar to the grain alcohol that we buy in stores. That's interesting. The difference, though, is profound. That just that tiny difference. Um, you know, being insanely toxic versus only like relatively toxic. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, if you drink too much, you will, you could, you will die. Okay. But I mean, I guess either way, the Mm -hmm. grain alcohol you can consume far more. So on December 20th, 1919, Romanelli and a group of accomplices snuck into a warehouse in New York and stole Two barrels full of methanol. Ooh, oh my God. Two barrels. So, you know, working in a garage with the help of like a local druggist, Mm. they drained the barrels into whiskey casks and sold the cask to another mobster by the name of Carmine Lizenziata. Okay. That's a, also, I've never heard that last name before and that's incredible. Lizenziata. Yeah, I like it. So anyways, they refilled the original barrels with water and replaced them at the warehouse for shipment so that no one was any to the wiser, right? Oh my god! So their crime wouldn't be found. And then also, Lenziata's crew added color to the methanol to make the clear liquid look like whiskey, right? Because we all know whiskey is brown. They were, oh my gosh. Yeah. And then they poured that liquid into fake bottles with labels on them. Or, I mean, real bottles with fake labels, I should say. Yes. So now they had a bunch of these bottles that looked legit, but were in fact just straight up poison. That's so scary. Like, I saw where this was going with the dye, and that's very scary. It's terrifying, yeah. So the bottles were then shipped off to Hartford, Connecticut for consumption. And here is just where it all goes south. Mm Mm-hmm. So Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and the day after Christmas, a tidal wave of patients flooded hospitals Mm. in western Massachusetts and Connecticut. So they generally suffered from delusion, blindness, paralysis, and just general agonizing pain all over their body. 
Oh my god. And a good amount of them were just brought in dead on arrival. <gasps> wow. So, and I want to highlight one such man, a 28-year-old by the name of Bartois Stemker, who enjoyed what he thought was whiskey in Hartford, Connecticut. So he had heard that some good French whiskey had made its way into the area. And presumably he just wanted to have a good time and have a good solid drink before Prohibition set in. I think everyone saw the writing on the wall at this point. Yeah, I'm and sure. And so he went to his local tavern, ordered a whiskey, and shortly after drinking it, he began to feel just generally ill and was very shortly admitted to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And so his vision blurred, he became blind, and 10 minutes later he was dead. Wow. It just happened like that. From a whiskey drink, like a quote unquote whiskey drink. Right, exactly. That would have been so terrifying. Yeah. And another man, Joseph Kanya of Chicopee Falls, Massachusetts, also suffered a a very similar fate. Oh. Um, Yeah, I'm just highlighting some, because we always typically like highlight the villains and never like the victims. I just wanted to highlight some of the victims in this. People who are just, yeah, going about their normal life. Right. I'm not thinking of these selfish mobsters yeah. trying to make a quick buck. Oh, my God. I know. It's it's disgusting, honestly, like those mobsters. Um, I mean, yeah, these guys, they're probably like, you know, blue-collar f- factory workers. I know one of them was. And, you know, he just came home. You know, he was just like wanted to stop by, grab a drink for it, like, coming home. And, you know, they're, they're husbands, they're, fa- they're fathers. And minutes later, they're dead. Mm, so sad. And so, you know, I I highlighted two men here, but unfortunately these were not the only victims of this tainted supply. All in all, around like 100 people, if not more, died from the supply of booze. That's a really high amount. Right. Oh my gosh. I mean, local papers called it the Christmas Day Massacre because, I mean, the end result was similar to what, what we would think of a massacre just in our head. Yes, and it's Christmas. My gosh, that makes it so much more tragic. I know. It really is, um, or it really was, like, just awful. And we know that police knew fairly quickly who was responsible. I guess it just didn't take a genius detective work mm-hmm. to find out that, you know, Romanelli, Lizenziata, and their accomplices were, um, they were just soon arrested. Okay. So Romanelli was even caught red-handed with some of, like, the leftover whiskey in his possession. What a dumbass. Yeah. And here's kind of the ingenious but just awful part of the story. So all of these deaths occurred outside of New York State. I did notice that, yeah. Um, And, well, Romanelli, he was arrested in New York. So he wasn't technically liable for his those deaths he never actually left the state he wasn't the one who distributed it even though he was the mastermind he didn't distribute it and he wasn't outside the state he wasn't in those states that sucks so much so and i don't like it was the laws back then were really weird because extradition between states wasn't nearly as like common or comprehensive as it is today because i was gonna say today that wouldn't be a problem yeah i mean so he was he was only tried and convicted in new york on the much less serious crime of grand larceny where he always only was sentenced to three years in jail and only served two of those years for quote unquote good behavior over a hundred deaths and he served two years oh my god that's infuriating lizanziata actually was convicted of first degree manslaughter and was sentenced to 18 and a half years in prison but he fled the country while he was on bail he went to italy unsurprising with that last name i might add 
But luckily, he would be caught nine years later in Montreal. So, and I didn't really find much more on him, but I mean, assuming that he went to, to prison. So the miscarriage of justice on this was because of technicalities, and it was certainly felt by people at the time. In fact, uh, Herbert N. Warbas, he was the New York prosecutor for the case, and he lamented the law after hearing of Romanelli's early release that, quote, a man may stand within the confines of one state and fire a cannon into another, killing a thousand persons without laying himself liable to extradition to the state in which the deaths actually occur. This is exactly what happened in the Romanelli case, except that the Brooklyn killers use wood alcohol instead of a cannon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was perfectly said. Yeah. And Very I can, good illustration of why this was ridiculous. Right. And you could just sense his frustration from this. Mm-hmm. I mean, these were bad people. And so this story would be known as the Christmas Day Whiskey Massacre. Wow. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I actually, it was hard, like, I kind of went down, like, a few rabbit holes to find the story. Yeah. And I, I I couldn't find a ton on it. Like, I had to do some deep dives to find, like, anything on this. For a case involving over 100 deaths? Yeah. Like, it's only 100 years ago. That's nuts. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, one thing I didn't mention is that Romanelli would have for sure known that methanol was toxic you know, being an undertaker himself. Yes. So he was essentially okay with killing, you know, 100 plus people so that he can just make a quick buck. That's what I was wondering. I was like, did he think it would just have the normal effects of alcohol? Like, was he dumb? But no, it appears he yeah. understood. He just didn't care. I mean, I think I read somewhere that since ever since 1905, like they had they had for sure known, like people had, had known. There was like laws that were created around that time to, like, distinguish, like, this is not drinking alcohol. This yeah. is bad for you. Yeah, which is why they can use it for the embalming process. Exactly. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. No, it is. It's awful. And before we end this week's episode, I actually just wanted to give a little bonus historical fact. Yeah, share with us. So, believe it or not, the U.S. federal government during Prohibition knowingly poisoned people who were drinking black market booze. <gasps> yes. Oh my god. Yes. So it was not only a private affair, but it was also a public affair. Like, U.S. tax dollars were being used to poison people drinking black market booze during Prohibition. That is the most... That's way more disgusting for your own government to do that to you. Yeah. So this isn't just one particular story, although there's probably many. It's just a systematic effort that was done by the government. So essentially, kind of just doing a synopsis here... Enforcing prohibition was a top priority for the government. Um, Obviously. The feds. Yeah, I know. Because there isn't anything else they could be doing. Right. Um, So it was a top priority. They just weren't doing a great job of it at first. And speakeasies, the mob, were just making money hand over fist. Mm -hmm. Um, So law enforcement and regulators devised a new strategy for limiting the supply of alcohol like at its source. Okay. And so bootleg alcohol, just to give you guys a perspective, uh, during Prohibition era was overwhelmingly produced from distilled industrial alcohols. Mm-hmm. Kind of similar to that methanol, but you do some like science, science chemistry. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I don't, I have no idea, but you do something to it and it makes it drinkable. And then, I know, hard hitting facts here at History for Weirdos. So... The feds decided to add toxic additives <gasps> to these alcohols to prevent people from distilling and creating a drinkable version of it. 
you know, i.e. bootleg liquor. But they underestimated just how high the demand was for booze at this time. And so lots of people ended up drinking this stuff, mostly unknowingly, that there had been a lot of additives that were incredibly toxic. Wow. And just countless amount of people were either just got sick or died from because of this. Oh my god. I'm and, not even like that surprised. Yeah. That this is how it went down. The government is not chill. It's so not chill. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that this was just to curtail the black market liquor yeah. um because when the 18th Amendment, the Prohibition Amendment, was repealed in 1933, the laws that mandated toxins to be put in the industrial alcohols were repealed. Yeah. Because yep. they didn't see a need for it anymore. Right. Right. Because they're like, well, people are just going to drink normal alcohol. We don't need to poison them anymore. Yeah, we no longer need to poison our own citizens. And you know what? All of this was just an effort to stop people from having a good time. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. No, that's terrible. It's so awful. Definitely not the Christmas spirit. It's definitely not the Christmas spirit. And that's why <laughs> I wanted to show it, share with you guys. <laughs> and that does conclude, you know, this week's episode. I know it was a little bit of a short one, but, you know, just wanted to give you guys a little bit of something for the, the holiday season. So some before we wrap this up, the sources for this week come from the New England Historical Society, Connecticut Insider, and USA Today. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I had never heard of the Christmas Whiskey Massacre. <laughs> I, I think a few weirdos have messaged us about how the U.S. government has done lots of terrible things to its citizens. So yes. this might be in there. But I did not know this for a fact. Like that was really terrible, but very interesting to learn. I did want to include this because so many weirdos have reached out to us about like... I know one guy was just like, you should do like a special episode on all the things the U.S. government has done wrong. And I'm like, okay, first of all, that would be episodes. Yeah. And each one of them would have would be way over our normal length. That could be a whole book and it could just be titled Everything the U.S. Government Has Done Wrong. <laughs> That's like, I don't think, that would just be like never ending. Yeah. It's a whole college course, not even a book. Yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, thank you again for sharing these stories with us. And once again, weirdos, happy holidays. Do not forget to follow us on Instagram over at History for Weirdos. You can stay up to date with us there, comment there. We love interacting with folks. As we've mentioned before, we're still making our way of getting through some messages, but thank you so much to everyone who supports the show, whether it's through kind messages or sharing episodes with people you love. Yeah, you guys are so awesome. Have a happy holiday season and have a happy new year, guys. We will see you not next week, but the week after. Until next time, weirdos. Adios. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.